Well, good morning. Is it possible to get the scripture back on the screen since I have no exciting slides on my own this morning? Is that, is that possible? So, um, yeah, there we are. Um, it was a while ago when the scripture was read. I'd kind of forgotten it myself during the, all the excitement. That was a very exciting announcements. I used to make announcements at church and they were never that exciting. Um, so uh, Martin Luther called this scripture that was read this morning, he said it was, quote, the chief point, the very center of the epistle, and indeed the center of the whole Bible. Now Martin Luther um, he was given to uh, excited expression. He once called the Pope a maggot bag. <laughs> that was after it was, it was quite being nice to the Pope, and they were having a little bit of trouble there. So I mean, he he was I mean he could he could uh, overemphasize a point, but still, um, th- this is a this is a, a rich, packed uh, passage of scripture. Um, An incredible number of theological themes converge. The righteousness of God, justification, faith, sin, redemption, grace, propitiation, expiation, forgiveness, atonement, the justice of God. So this this is like the most crowded intersection in New York City uh, that you've ever experienced with these major, major theological themes coming together. And redemption might be uh, the, the overall theme. Now, redemption, um, that's, we use that word a lot. I'm old enough to remember redeeming blue chip stamps. But you've got to be over 60 to remember that. And, uh, but but there's, you know, we also redeem coupons. So we're sort of used to the term redemption. But in the biblical world, that was an unusual term. Um, it wasn't one that was common that people would would uh, experience redemption its origin is um, is the slave market when someone had a slave and they were going to be sold if someone who knew the slave bought them in order to set them free that was redemption and Christians uh, did this en masse they would pool their money, and if a member of their congregation came up for sale, they would purchase them to set them free. That's the narrow definition. So this is the idea is that we are made for God. That's what, that's what we've been made for originally. That's what our first parents were made for. And you know what? We lost our way. We just, we just lost it. You ever felt like that? You have no idea which way is up. You wake up sitting and say, I am so lost, I don't even know how to I don't even know how to find up or down. We are made for God and we've lost our way. And we have we have put ourselves under the influence of, and Paul will say there's three major uh, forces of influence that got their hooks into us. Sin, our own sin, desire. Do you ever have a desire to sin? Well, I do. Well, that'll make it easier for you to say you do too. So, yeah, I mean I do. And already today I've had one. I haven't even done that much yet. Just driving I have that desire to sin. 
So we are, we are trapped by that. We can't escape that on our own. And then there's Satan who's stalking us, like we need any extra help to screw up. There's Satan. And then there's also this thing called the world, the culture. Paul says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. We live in, in the most highly developed um, uh, poisonous culture that human history has ever known. Because we don't even, because it's searching us out and it tells us you deserve whatever you want. You ought to be ruler of everything you survey. That's that crazy rampant self-interest. And we all know it's, it, it, it doesn't lead to good. But we live in a culture that glorifies it. And every day that is, that is being pounded into our hearts and into our minds. And we can't free ourselves from that on our own. But Paul says, uh, but there is, a, there is a solution to it. But in Romans here, he, is, he has been articulating the ways in which, um, in which Gentiles are captured... They've lost that sense of God and they're captured by this world. And there's that horrible list, right? Gentiles are evil, malicious, and it goes on and on from there. And then that Jews, um, you know, we, they, they've worshipped the wrong thing. They've worshipped the wrong thing. And the law, you know, if you, I don't know if you, if you think much about law. The great, uh, he's a Californian, grew up in California, degree at Stanford, just taught now at Yale University for 20 years, Stephen Carter, uh, professor of law. And uh, I heard him speak years ago, and he defined law very simply. Law makes you do what you don't want to do and keeps you from doing what you want to do. <laughs> that was it. That's all. But it has no capacity to change your desire. So the thing about law is it focuses on behavior. What to do. And think about the, the questions that the, the Pharisees asked Jesus. Oh, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's all about what to do. And his answer was, oh, well, whose head's on the coin? And then Pay to Caesar with Caesar's and to God with God's. That's a that that's a reflection question. Because yep, we do owe something to Caesar, but everything is God's. So that's causing us to then think more deeply, get past just the what do you do, just the superficial stuff. And have you noticed our culture is all about just getting you to stay only on what to do, not to reflect, what to do. So, um, uh, yeah, what to do? So, Paul here will, um, will then address, well, I should say, the, the, the other great example is the, is the, uh, the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan. Right, what's the greatest commandment? What do you think it is? Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. That's right. Well, then the, then the, 
the Pharisee said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story. Right? And here's the deal. If you're a priest or a Levite, um, you're supposed to remain clean, holy, pure. If you touch a dead body, you're unclean for a week. So there's that dead guy on the road, and the priest and the Levite, if they touch him, they, he's, he's inert, he's not moving. They don't know if he's alive or dead. So if they poke him about if he's alive or dead, if he's dead, they're unclean for a week. And the law says, don't do that. <laughs> so you see, that's, that's the level of, of actions then. And then law, law is about actions. But Jesus says there's something deeper than law, and those are the principles that laws are supposed to protect. Those are deeper. Just like speed limits. You know, if you're on, if you're on a road near, have you ever been near the, you know, near the ocean, just the, uh, south of San Francisco, and there are horrible roads right there that lead from the main highway to the ocean. They're like a half a mile, and the speed limit's like eight miles an hour or something, because the roads are so bad. So going faster than eight would be breaking the law. But what if there's a tidal wave coming that's 200 feet high? And you say, well, that's dangerous, but speed limit is 8 miles an hour. I mean, the whole point of a speed limit is to protect some deeper principle. So you see, it's, it's not just what you do, it's about the, these deeper principles. And that's what Paul's getting at here. He's going to uncover some of these deeper principles. And the question is, okay, who needs to be redeemed? And he's going to say... Everybody does. And then he gets to this uh, powerful section. So what is the verdict? But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. So law itself ain't righteousness. It's supposed to protect it. It's supposed to point to it. But it, it's that it, it ain't it itself. God's righteousness, Paul will say, is available to all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. So the law is supposed to point to something deeper. And this person Jesus represents, he, he embodies that deeper stuff. So functionally, Paul means that God's righteousness is the way God puts people into right relationship with him. Meaning the way we are, we ain't there yet. We are not in right relationship with him. But God has rendered a way for us to find ourselves in that spot. And that is good news. And it's a plan, he says, that develops in stages. And the coming of Jesus inaugurated a new stage. So one stage is we don't have the law at all. That's the stage the Gentiles are in. Where um, they don't know any better than just pursuing their own self-interest. And that's why there's that horrible list, evil, malicious, haters of good. The next stage is the stage the Jews are in. They have the law. But the law couldn't bring us all the way there. The, the law had a purpose, actually two purposes, Paul says. One is to make ourselves aware that we need something more. The law tells you that you're, you know, you're sinning. If you've ever spent time in another country, it can be a little disorienting, right? You know, you don't really quite know what, what the rules are or not. We lived in Sweden for a year. I taught at a university there. High, very much like the United States, highly developed, western, but they do have some cultural differences. You don't honk your horn at people there. 
I spent 12 years in Chicago. That was where we were living the year we went to, went to Sweden. In Chicago, the first time I, we moved there, I'm at a left-hand turn lane. The light turns yellow the other way, so I know I'm about to get a green. The light turns yellow the other way, and the guy behind me honks his horn at me. I mean, they, they use honking horn there for all, I mean, all kinds of stuff. So I, was, I had that culture. It was just not appropriate, I learned, for Sweden. Uh, out of touch. So Paul says um, the law is help is there to help us, not to save us, but it's to make clear to us: Wow, we ain't got it going on ourselves. We got we need help from outside. Gentiles will understand it because they they have a sense within of good and evil, even if they they've uh, not cultivated it and watered it. But we Jews ought to know that the law is there to make us aware we need that next stage and also to keep us from going off the deep end. The law is like that, is like a guardrail on some mountain road where if you get a little bit too far to the right, you're going to go 2,000 feet down. So it's to protect you. The point of the, of the guardrail isn't to get as close as you possibly can. To scrape up against it, you know, and scar the right-hand side of your car if you're going around the corner. So, this is a new righteousness apart from the law. So the law had a purpose. It was necessary. It led to the coming of Jesus. And Paul says, the law and the prophets pointed to that. What does he mean by that? What's the, pointing, what's the law and the prophets pointing to that? Well, um... You know, there's this passage in Ezekiel 36 where God says to his people, I'm going to have to hallow my own name. That's a, that's a, real, that's a real theological word, hallow. We don't really use that. I don't think my mom ever said hallow when she was yelling at me for doing something wrong. I don't think there was anything like... But that, that's, a, that's a theological... With, with that, um, what that means is uh, like, like show proper respect. Make a right judgment. So uh, God says, I'm going to have to hallow my own name because you, my people, have allowed my name to be profane. Meaning, other people have looked at you to understand me. Man, what else are they supposed to do? You're my people. But you haven't lived according to my standards, so they're drawing wrong conclusions about me. So I'm going to have to be real clear about who I am to them. I'm going to have to hallow my own name because you guys, have, I can't trust you to do it. And then, and then God says, but I'm going to have to fix this situation. There's going to come a day when I'm going to take out that heart of, fle- uh, that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, and I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. And I'm going to put a new heart in you. Now that, that's, that's, the, that's one of the places in the law and the prophets where it's clear the law itself is a temporary measure. It's not, the, it's not the permanent thing. When you get a cast on your leg, it's a, I hope it's a temporary measure. Not the permanent thing. So, uh, the next verse. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. So don't get so excited about thinking you're better than the Jews or thinking that you're better than the Gentiles. We're all in the same boat. All in the same boat. The righteousness of God is only accessed by Faith. It comes about because of what Christ accomplished by faith. And we appropriate it when we have faith. 
Now, appropriate, that's kind of a, I don't know, like a $20 word. Uh, the, Greek, the Greek is oikiosis. That makes it better, right? Saying that. But the word oikiosis comes from the Greek word oikos, meaning home. So think about it like Chinese food. When I go to a Chinese restaurant, or Thai, I order more than I'm going to eat. So there's extra leftover that they put in a box and I can take home. And sometimes I forget to take it home. And I get home and I realize it's still in those boxes. Right? Maybe I, am I the only one who forgets to take it home? So I mean, that's my point. If you don't take it home, it ain't yours. It's yours, take it home. Whereas I think in our world, appropriate is kind of like steel or something, you know? Have someone to look the other way and grab their stuff. But this is actually yours. What Christ has done, it's a gift. It's yours. Take it home. Make it yours. Appropriate. This faith is what makes God's forgiveness, how we actually get clean, makes it ours. And this forgiveness isn't some magical thing, like you are clean and you are uh, clean for all time. It's a process, right? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the, the best image, I think, is a jail cell. Because we are prisoners of our own sinful nature. We're prisoners of the power of this world over us. Pretty nice guy, actually. I'm pretty patient. I'm pretty. I'm pretty generous. But sometimes, when I'm driving, the other part of me comes out. Sometimes, even if I'm, I'm it just, it just, and I'm not, I'm not saying, okay, now it's time for the other part to come. But it's just, I'm reminded that I'm, I'm kind of screwed up, actually. So that's that, that's that process. We're in the process, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We've been set free. Like the cell door is open, and God has said, you can walk out of that jail cell. And we walk out, but then we stupidly, foolishly decide to walk back in and sit down. We're, we're still back in that. And even though the door is open, we're still acting like it's, like we're locked in there. We have to live free of it. So that's why we all need it. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that glory, glory also is kind of a, um, that's, a that's one of those words that, um, I don't know if we really know what it means. Is it, is it that, like that shiny thing? Well, that's the, that's the appearance. Content. Um, what is the what is the, the 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 shiny thing in Moses' face reflecting? It's reflecting the fact that he had been communing with God and understood God at a deep level. So here's this is the Gospel of John, but listen, this is the 17th chapter of John's Gospel. What might be the most densely theological part of John's Gospel, which is the most densely theological book in the entire Bible. So this is like super radioactive theology. 
17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your, that your Son may glorify you. So there it is, glory. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him, that is Jesus, you granted me, authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So glory is tied, at least part of it is, understanding God's purpose and doing it. But it's also this, just this notion of, um, of understanding God's will in a deep way. So a short definition is, glory is the unity of purpose and love relationship that Father and Son and Spirit share. Unity of purpose. Have you ever thought three persons, I mean, three persons, one God? We have no analog for that. Three persons. What would it be like to be three persons who share exactly the same purpose? That's the unity of the Godhead. So glory, glory is, wow. Living in the glory is God desires you. be known by you, to know you, and for you to live as within that love relationship. So the law is there to say um, you can't do it on your own. Don't mistake the law for your own way to righteousness. That's what some people have done. But the law is there to say you can't do it on your own. The law is there to say um, you're over the line. You need to go back uh, the other way. Verse 24. And all are justified freely by his grace the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So justified is a, is a it says, it comes from the Greek root, um, righteousness. So there is a powerful, potent uh, set of, of ideas tied to this term. And as I said, it's appropriated through faith. We can take it home. And it's a sacrifice of atonement. That should be verse 25. That's another one of those words that it we could be helpful if it could be defined for us. Atone. Now the word in, in Greek is um, uh, hilasterion, which gets translated either propitiation or expiation. Now this is tied to the wrath. There's a wrath issue in this passage, right? The wrath of God. And the question is, what's God... Uh, who is God angry at? Remember, 
you ever had this experience when you were kids where you wondered, is mom angry at me or my brother? Because it really matters, you know, who she's angry at. So um, propitiation, that comes actually from, from paganism, the idea. Um, so in, 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 in the ancient world, in paganism, there's no sense of sin. You know, the, the God, the Roman gods, the Greek gods, they're like giant, all-powerful 13-year-olds. You know, and, and, and if something's gone wrong in your life, it's because you have done something accidentally to upset some god, and they're like, whack, they're just, they're hammering you. So what you need to do is, is find some way to appease them, to appease their anger, and worship in the ancient world, out in paganism, they, they, like I said, no sense of, of faith or, or, or of relationship. Worship was simply pouring some wine or sacrificing some animal, you know, two, three, five minutes at most, and, and, and they're appeased. But, um, but the Old Testament has other images. You know, sacrifice, temple sacrifices cover over sin. God's not angry there. We had a dog years ago when I was in grad school. Christina and I had a dog, smart dog, and uh, great dog. And uh, some friends came over, and, and uh, my Lee had just come back from Hawaii, and so she brought us one of those boxes of chocolate macadamia nuts that you buy when you're in the airport. She remembered in the airport there are people you, you need to bring presents for. So it's a box about this big, but like, like three candies in it. But, you know, I'm happy about the candy. So we left it there on the, on the table near the front door. We went to see a movie, came back, and, and the box was gone. I didn't think about it at the moment. But I walked into our, into our living room, and there uh, on the floor of our living room was um, our dog not making eye contact. And, uh, and there was also the bedspread from our bed down the hall, you know, like, you know, 20 feet away, in a big lump. And I'm thinking, what, what's that doing there? So I picked it up, and there under the bedspread was the chewed-up remains of the box. None of the macadamia, chocolate macadamia nuts were there. And I realized our dog had sinned and felt guilty and tried to cover over her sin. So that, <laughs> that's atonement. So there's no anger of God there. There's also the slave market image in the Old Testament. Purchasing, we are all slaves to our sin nature. And we are purchased out of that. But there's no anger in a slave market. Now there, there, are, there, are, there is anger in some places in the Old Testament. God angry at sin. But we, I don't think we should have the image that God is angry at us. Primarily. He is angry at sin. He's angry at Satan. But the big picture here is, is this is God's plan for us to have the right relationship with him. That's righteousness. And it's a relationship we can live into. And it doesn't require being perfect at it right away. But it's that long-term relationship of growth toward and living into this relationship with God who made us and loves us. So what's the verdict? We've all fallen sin and fallen short. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the provision is redemption. We are purchased out of slavery. We're declared not guilty, even though we are. Because of the mercy 
and kindness of the judge. And then Paul in verse 27 will say, where then is boasting? Maybe you've noticed that Paul talks about boasting a lot. What's that all about? Well, you know, um, in the ancient world, in his world, boasting, before there were publicists, boasting was what you did to, so people knew the best about you. Cicero talks about this at some length in his letters. So Cicero was uh, 60, 70 years before Paul. And at one point writes a letter to a friend of his and says, you know, I know I'm asking you to do me a, a, a huge favor, to talk me up over there where you are. In fact, what I'm asking you is so over the top that if I were there with you in person, I probably wouldn't go this far. But I'm writing a letter, and a letter can't blush. <laughs> so it was common for people to boast about themselves. And that's why when Paul says, I'm not going to boast about myself, I'm going to boast about someone else. So, and that would be the remarkable thing. So he speaks of boasting a lot, and here he says, where then is boasting? We don't boast. It ain't nothing we've done. It is, it is purely a gift that we are invited to live into. So is this, is this nullifying the law? No. And that's because, as we said earlier, law reflects some deeper principle. There are times when breaking the law actually preserves the law. Right? If, if you're in the middle of a fire, you know, you don't drive the speed limit. Because <laughs> safety is what the law is all about. So this is also about what we can call moral reasoning, but it's actually understanding the mind and heart of God as opposed to simply following the rules. So, bottom line, we are broken. I am. We're capable of great good and incredible selfishness. And we live in a culture that actually is that's just wackily encouraging selfishness. Secondly, we need rescue because we are broken and we cannot fix ourselves. Third, we have been rescued. The jail door has been opened. And fourth, it's a process. The upper call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, now in Star Trek... Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock simply tell Scotty, beam me up right now. And instantaneously they're safe. It ain't that way for us. It's a, it's a process. But the Lord God promises to live within our hearts. God is continually speaking. The only question is if we're paying attention. Are we making more room? Are we, are we, putting, are we putting the mute button on talk radio or, 
or on too much TV or whatever it is, just more space. Because if you have come to faith in Christ, you are already saved, but you are also being saved. And you will be saved. I think that's good news. Amen. Amen.